Welcome to Get Your Swag Back with Steve Clements. This podcast is a brash, barrier-breaking, unapologetic look at the modern male, his masculinity, and the lies he is taught on how to attract, date, and act in relationships with women. We uncover and expose the problems men have in the dating arena, especially after a bad breakup or divorce, and show them how to set their ship straight. We also look into the mind of women and why they may stay with one man versus another, unveil the secret language of women, teach you women speak, and the positive traits that women come running to when they see you in the modern masculine man. Make your comeback, take your balls back, and get your swag back. All right, all right, all right, guys. Steve, I'm back with more knowledge and brilliance that I usually steal, but it's all good stuff. Today, I have Grant Smith with me in the uh, the studio. Grant is an author and he's a, a life coach. He helps guys who are like me, coming suffering from a bad divorce or bad breakup, and show them how to kind of turn things around. I'll let you uh, listen to what he has to say. Let, let him tell you all his great details but grant thank you for coming on the show i appreciate it buddy hey thanks one one thing for you steve please call me d my my full name is d grant smith oh i'm sorry buddy it's okay, okay man I, that, that gets confusing sometimes but uh one did yeah, yeah yeah so d is easy it's the fourth letter of the alphabet <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yes for guys who are like me like and uh you know impaired a little bit on the <laughs> the learning curve to my lovely add and all that fun stuff but D, go over what you do. Uh, give me first of all, give me a little bio where you're at, where you came from, and and a little insight to what you're doing. So what I do now is completely different than what I I started. I guess my professional career in when I was a kid, I wanted to be in radio. So I worked at a radio station when I was in high school, and I thought that maybe was instantly cool. Uh, <laughs> I, guess yeah, way, I guess in a way it kind of did because I was the only person I knew that, that had his own radio show at you know age 16 or whatever. I was listening to a lot of underground stuff back in the day. I, I'm, I'm kind of a punk rocker at heart. So I. Who's your group? Oh, man. There's so many. Um, Who's you go to? For punk, I think, you know, like Green Day and. Oh, yeah. A couple, couple of kind of underground bands. I, they're not underground in the scene, but Face to Face is one of my, one of my favorite bands. Mm-hmm. Um, I've transitioned in a sense, like in, in my life and in my musical taste. My, my favorite artists now are. Uh, Trevor Hall, man, I love that guy. His message mm-hmm. is just all about heart and all about love and about the, the soul and our connection with each other and our connection with God. Right. Uh, every single one of his songs just like hits me like right here in the in the heart space. Right. Right. Um, I'm always going to be a huge Pearl Jam fan. Like, oh yeah, me too. Is, like you know, yeah. Evans or something like that. Brandy Carlisle, I was really into her before she, way before she ever became famous. What I did when I was in college, uh, I worked for a public radio station, and I had this idea. I was really tired. This was, you know, I was, I graduated from college in 2004, so that ages me quite a bit. Um, <laughs> I wish but, I graduated in 2004. <laughs> so, uh, but I had this idea, like, I was really tired of listening to the same, like, at the time it was, what was the name of the band? There was, like, a Creed song that they played on the radio all the time. Yeah. So, like, uh, with arms wide open or something like that something like that uh yeah i don't remember yeah there, there, were two, there were two or three bands that, that just kept playing over and over again i'm like i'm tired of hearing these guys what if there was a show what if i what if i made a show where like i played all of this like underground music and also like i guess popular stuff but like b-sides and stuff that wasn't getting radio airplay where right. people would, would go for that 
And so I, I pitched this idea to my boss at the time, and we happened to have this hour that it just opened up on the, on the schedule. He said, if you put something together, I'll give you a spot. And so I, I kind of tippy-toed around some of the rock stuff for a while because he was really not into that at all. But the show gained traction and mm-hmm. uh, popularity. And so then after a little while, I was like, I feel like I can do some things that other people can't do. And I could probably get away with doing some things that other people can't do because so many people love this show. Right, so it right. Called, it was called The Appetizer. And I played on the flavors of music, like we have the, you know, flavors of other things. And so right, right. very metaphorical in everything that I do. That's good. Now, uh, what, what so yeah, I was, I was playing stuff like, I was playing Brandy Carlisle and stuff before she was ever famous. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, man, that, that was my, that was my previous life. Uh, I, I left the radio station in 2013. I stopped doing the appetizer in 2019. And around 2007, so you, you, you asked for a bio. I've, I've always been somebody that's very passionate about people, but I didn't, I never had confidence in myself. Mm-hmm. So I would hide behind my work. I would hide behind my friends. I would always want somebody else to defend me for anything. I just, I didn't have any belief in myself. Right. One day in 2007, I was, all I needed to do, Steve, was cross the street. But there was a dude on the other side of the street that like looked kind of, tough kind of thuggish like that and i thought he was going to jump me so instead of crossing the street like a regular human being would i took a detour and i turned 90 degrees and i went that way for like an extra three and a half blocks mm-hmm. and i justified it as oh i can get some more exercise well about my my black second block or whatever my little internal jiminy cricket jumped on my shoulder and was like dude you're 28 years old and you can't cross the freaking street how long are you going to live this way yeah and i realized that i had been afraid of I've been afraid my whole life. And so on the drive home, I passed by the sign that said boxing gym. And when I got home, I called the number and I talked to Coach Rebus. And Coach Rebus was like, I understand where you're coming from. Uh, come to my gym, meet me. If you like what you see, you can you can work out here for a month for 20 bucks. Wow. And yeah, that's all it cost. Dang. I went across the street and I talked to my neighbor and he's like, I want to do it too, man. So Lee and I would go to go to the boxing every day for an hour and a half. Nice. While uh, while I was there, I was there for about two and a half years. Coach Rebus taught us all kinds of stuff. And Coach Rebus was working with the U.S. Olympic boxing team. Wow. Like, I didn't just work with some, like, random dude that was, like, you know, kind of knew a little bit about, like, Coach Rebus was the real deal. Damn. And uh, so, Coach, um, but Coach instilled in, in us some really amazing principles. And one of the things that he would shout at us, and I say shout because that he didn't really – he would talk, he would give like these really long sermons, but like when, when he, when he was coaching us, he was like shouting at us. And one of the things he would say all the time is be solid, be solid, be solid. Right. So I had this idea that I was going to write a business book about, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. And started writing it in 2016, 2017. I've been married for almost a dozen years. 2017, February, my now ex-wife uh, said one day she didn't love me and she wanted to leave. Wow. That just like I had found my sense of purpose. I'd found my sense of validation. I'd found all anything that like qualified me as being like worthy, I found in being married to her. And so for her to walk away like that just shattered me and broke yeah. me in all these places. Mm-hmm. So I had I had given a manuscript for this book that I had kind of written to a friend of mine with a publishing company, and I told her what was going on in my life. And she said, What I want you to do is I want you to not write anything about that anymore. But I want you to see how everything you wrote about can be applied to what you're going through right now. And I want right. you to 
lead yourself through this process because you are worth so much more than what how you're being treated. So I went through 2017 in this healing journey. And then that's what I wrote my book about. So my book is called Be Solid, How to Go Through Hell and Come Out Whole. And the work that I do now is not in broadcast or media of any kind, really. I help other people go through the pain that I went through so that they can come out on the other side of hell as a whole and vibrant person. Wow. I mean, thanks for opening up like that, man. That's, I mean, I took that same journey. I got my heart ripped out and this, that pain point, you know, turned me, turned it into a PowerPoint for me. Mm. Right. And just like you as well. That's what I like to show you guys is you can take that heart breaking deep pain and transform it into power. And I love that story. Um, when this breakup, I mean, I could tell the emotion in your voice. I mean, it was, it's difficult. And I know what, what you're talking about. How did you meet your wife? Was she at college or, I mean, and were you all together like long before you got married or? Yes. This is with your, your wife when you met her. So one of the things that, you know, at this point in time, like I'm, I'm very appreciative of all of my life experiences, especially mm-hmm. the painful ones. And that can be a difficult thing to wrap your mind and your heart around, especially when you're hurting. Yeah. I, I don't, it, for me, it's more than just every, that everything happens for a reason cliche. Right. Everything is an opportunity, I believe, for us to become the best version of ourselves. And sometimes we will not allow our own selves to step into that place of power, like you said, mm-hmm. unless we are thrown into the fire pit. Right. So for me, in my culture and in my family I and mean, everything growing up, like I, I grew up in a very religious household and, uh, you know, so. Yeah, I was Catholic. I was Southern Baptist. So, <laughs> uh, so like whatever the church said was the way that it was. Right, right. Anytime anybody, I, I remember people bringing up the idea of self-love when I was a kid and like, oh, well, that just means you're really selfish. You don't care about yourself. Right. Right. Oh, I don't want to do that because then that's going to, you know, I don't want to get sent to hell or whatever it is that happens. God's mad, blah, blah, blah. I went to the Church of Christ college, even though I wasn't Church of Christ. But I ended up going to a really charismatic church while I was in in college. I met her while we were at a, like a college retreat. Actually, we'd known each other for a little while, but we we, we really connected and kind of spent a weekend just kind of hanging out and stuff. And Mm -hmm. then we became like really good friends and would hang out almost every day. Wow. But one of the things I've learned over the years is I, I fell in love fast. Like every time I've, every time I've ever been in a committed relationship, I fall in love really fast. I'm a Sagittarius. They say that that's part of my astrological sign. I don't know. It's just me. But like I I fell in love fast, but I I dated this girl in, in college earlier. And I ended up like chasing her basically for three years, trying to prove myself right. over and over that I was you know worthy of her love or whatever. And after that experience, I just, uh, I didn't want to date anymore. So I wrote off, instead of writing off the girl as being the issue, I wrote off dating. And mm-hmm. so my, my ex-wife went, basically when I, I proposed to her instead of asking her out to date me, like we, we went from being best friends that had kind of like talked a, a lot to being engaged. And we didn't, we didn't spend the appropriate amount of time actually getting to know what each other would be like from like a romantic side of things. Right. So we were engaged for about five or six months. Then we got married and you know there was, there was a lot of, I'm not very big on like mandated rules that apply to like everybody, but there's a part of me that's like, okay, well, if we're going to mandate that you can't be under 21 before you can drink alcohol, I think we should mandate that you can't be under 25 until you can get married. <laughs> 
there, ne- there needs to be some like life experiences and some things that you go through and some ways that you get to know yourself and you get to mm-hmm. like trust yourself. But it's almost like as soon as you graduate from high school, we thrust you into this like pre-professional realm of college or whatever else. And then we also give you like these, you know, heightened responsibilities and stuff. And then as soon as you're done with college, we're going to thrust you into the professional world and culture and society is going to force upon you this ideal that like, you've got to be married to start a family and have all of your life together. And right. that's just incredibly unfair for all of us to go through. So mm-hmm. that's my little soapbox thing about that. Well, yeah, it's not, it's not it's like one, you know, it's trying to sometimes put a, a what is a, a square block into a round hole it just you know one size doesn't fit all and you're so right about that because i was brought up that way being catholic you marry that one person you stay with that one person the rest of your life and i couldn't do that i mean i was miserable but i stayed as long as i could you know i know what you're talking about it's 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 our rituals and it's our beliefs that we are instilled to us and it may not work for us personally as is you I, i mean just from what you were saying i totally agree with you i totally agree with you you know, we should be have some life experience before we even get involved in that. Well, and one thing that I think would be, I think it would be appropriate. I think it's important for all of us to know how to love ourselves because we base the way that we treat ourselves. We base the way we treat other people on how we treat ourselves. So if, if you really struggle with building relationships with people, that's an indication of how you really don't know yourself very well. And you don't know how to honor and love and respect yourself. Exactly. When you honor, love, and respect yourself, it's natural, it's easy, and it's normal for you to like give that same sort of appreciation and love and respect to other people. Like that's just what you're used to doing. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of like, you know, I keep a fairly clean house. When I go spend any time with uh, you know, family, or if I go to a hotel or if I go somewhere, like you're not gonna come into my room and it be like a dump. That's because I'm used to keeping my house clean. That's the way that I live. That's the way that I operate. That's the, I, the, the way I treat myself. The way I treat my own home is going to be the way that I treat other people's homes. Right. And that's I think that's that's a that's that's a good in a way mirror for the way that you know we, when we look at relationship dynamics and things that are important. Now I'm not trying to say that if you have a messy house that that means you have a messy life and that you don't know how to take care of yourself. <laughs> Some people are just more like organized than other people. But I think you know there there are ways of showing like the. Communication is a huge value for me. So it's easy for me to communicate with other people and to, to say what it is that I think and to say what it is that I feel and to, you know, advocate for clear communication. But when people say, like, I'm really struggling to, like, find why, can't, why people aren't understanding what it is that I'm saying, then it becomes like, okay, whatever's going on outside of you, that's a reflection of what's going on inside of you. Exactly. So you want to know how to change what the dynamics of the relationships you have, whether that's a significant other or your family or your friends, or your coworkers or your whatever, look at what's going on inside of you because everything is a, is a reflection of everything that's out here is a reflection of what's in here. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I have an exercise I do with, uh, I got from a mind coach, mindset coach. It's like you stand there and you look in the mirror for five minutes. You don't flinch. You keep looking and kind of record the thoughts you had while you're looking at yourself. And it's just what he says is a reflection of the reflection of the world is with the reflection of you, what you're thinking about yourself. And so true. That's mm-hmm. a great point. That's a great point. I want to get back to the boxing, man. How did that boxing, did that boxing help you with like your self-confidence and make you feel like, Hey, I'm not afraid anymore. I can, I can take on stuff. So 
I think, I don't know if it's the way the universe works or the way that like I was like designed or whatever, but the paradox of being super afraid of everything and then like, okay, well, let me run ahead first in the thing that scares me the most. There you go. <laughs> so like, I've always been a huge fan of the Rocky movies, like that character and even just Sylvester Stallone's like mm-hmm. career as a filmmaker and as, yeah. a, as a media icon. Like if you, if you study anything about his life, he went from like abject poverty to superstardom. And it was, but it wasn't just like a fly by night sort of thing. There was a lot of you know, movie stars in the eighties or late seventies, early eighties that they went from nothing into something. And then like, you've never heard from them again. Right. But that guy's 74. I think I saw a video yesterday. He's, he's doing a director's cut of Rocky four for the 35th anniversary. And of course I'm going to you know sign up as soon as that comes out or whatever. But like, all of that to say, you asked about boxing. What it did for me was I wanted to not be a, I'm a small dude. Okay. So I weigh 125 pounds. Wow. Uh, and I'm five foot seven. Maybe if I round up five foot seven and a half, but I've always <laughs> been a little framed dude my whole right. life. So I was easily the guy that got picked on. I was easily the guy that got bullied. I was the runt of whatever. And, you know, the, the, the little, little guy syndrome is kind of, pervasive for you know anybody that's actually a little guy we always most of us have a chip on our shoulder we've got something to prove some people turn that into like i've got a buddy that's a he's a state trooper in tyler texas and he but he was a navy seal before that he's five foot five and uh but he's he's trained in like every martial art you can train in and he can kick anybody's ass i don't care how big you are all of us smaller people, we have little man syndrome. My little man syndrome wanted to not be afraid of somebody that was bigger than me, which would be everybody. <laughs> and I got paired up with a guy that at the time, Rudy was 14. I was 26, 27 years old. Rudy was in uh, eighth grade or ninth grade. He was about my height, but he hit like a man. And he was fast. He had an amateur record. He had, I think he had had like 13 or 15 fights and he'd won uh, nine or ten of them by the time I ever sparred with him, and he just kicked my ass, man. What I found was that when I when I would fight against Rudy, like I was more intimidated to fight him or spar against him because we were about the same size. When I got put in against somebody that was like bigger, like there were a bunch of we we had we had kids from all over, like we had high school kids that were kind of troublemakers, and so their their parents would send them over to try to like instill some sort of discipline in them. And coach would you know make sure that. The people that were bullies at school got bullied at the gym so that they could know what that felt like. We had a guy who's still in the police department. He's on the SWAT team in our in, in my town. But he was a professional fighter for a little while. I don't know if he still does any professional fights. But he was a he was a tough, tough, super sweet guy, but super tough and left-handed. So you you know you're fighting a left, it's fighting a southpaw man. That's just jacked up. But. Uh, <laughs> But no, his name is Al and Al would be punishment. Like if you, if you didn't do your exercises or if you tried to be a bully and pick up on other people, coach would be like, you're going to fight Al. And nobody wanted to fight Al. What it did for me was throwing me into the ring was like throwing me into the lion's den. Right. And I got hit a lot. I got, I got beat up essentially. But what it, what it ended up doing was some little button got flipped or some little switch in me got flipped. And after a little while, even though I'm getting like pummeled in the face, I stopped feeling things and I was like, bring it on. Is that all you got? And I turned into this like different person. Right. And after it was all said and done, after it was all over, like after the sparring sessions were over, I would just sit there and go, I can't believe I did that. 
I'm, I'm, I'm capable of so much more than I thought I was. Right. One of the things that coach would do, like we would, we would work out, we do crazy exercises, work bag drills and all kinds of stuff. And we would have been in the gym for like an hour and a half. And we would be doing these bag works things and, and stuff. And in my mind, I'm like, surely coach realizes that we, you know, it's been like two hours. Surely he's going to just like realize we don't have anything left in the tank. And I'm now I'm pretty confident that he's walking around, you know, the room and he's looking at our eyes, looking at like how we're dragging and going, I'm going to push them another three rounds Yeah. to prove to them that they've got more than what they think they have, right. because we all have more than what we think we have. Like our ego and our mind tells us what we're, what we're capable or incapable of, we're, we're capable of like 9,000% more right. to get out of this thing in here and get into this thing in here. And that's true across life. That's awesome. That's an awesome point. And do you still like spar at all? Do you still like hit the bag and all that? Uh, I, I got some, uh, I got a heavy bag and a speed bag in my little workout room upstairs and I'm the only one that's up there. I live by myself now. So, um, I work out, you know, two, three times a week up there and we never did any speed bag stuff when I was with coach. Yeah. Um, he was not a fan of that. He's like, you're not going to hit somebody with this part of your hand. So why would yeah. you, and I'm like, and, and so I, I believe that for a long time, but as I've been learning how that works, it's really all about rhythm and timing and right. it's a whole lot harder than it looks. So yeah. anytime I'm watching, like, I, I'm, you know, I think Floyd Mayweather Jr. is an amazing boxer. I think he's an absolutely terrible human being <laughs> separating those two worlds. You know, it's kind of like you can love somebody's movies, but think that what they do like in their own personal time is atrocious. Anytime I would watch him do bag work, the guy's just, he's like crazy, crazy good. Crazy good, crazy fast, crazy like it's impossible how how much he's did. so I've got that in my head every time I'm up there trying to do that stuff. And then I have to remind myself, dude, you're not Floyd, it's okay. You can <laughs> I was a big when I was younger. I'm a, I'm a quite a few years older than you, buddy. I used to love Bruce Lee and mm, I'd have these nunchucks. Yeah, I, I had these nunchucks and I, I could get doing pretty good, you know. And then I tried the wooden ones because it had the soft uh, foam ones. Dude, I cracked my head, man. I had a cut, you know, and all this stuff. But I don't care, man, you know, because it felt so good. It felt so empowering. And that guy, to me, is like, you know, the essential Buddha and the badass. You know, he's mm -hmm. just an incredible uh, biography. I like to go back to and, and read all the time. So let's go into after, you know, you, you divorced and you got, you know, that, you know, you wrote that book. Go on about the story about yourself. What happened then? Did you write that book like within a year, you said? or I was writing the book while I was going through the process. So something else, I, was, I mean, I was, I was desperately afraid of rejection. So what did I do when she left? I took a job where I would have to face rejection every day. I became a salesman. Oh, God bless you. Oh, my God. <laughs> I've been there. I used to sell insurance and investments, okay? Oh my God. Uh, I was trying to sell manufactured houses, man. Like I, <laughs> I, I knew absolutely nothing about that industry. The, the whole reason I got a job there was, it was, I was, a, it was a friend of a friend. He knew I was an entrepreneur and he, he saw potential in me. Didn't see the fear of, I don't know what I'm doing and I don't know how to sell like, you know, stuff I don't know anything about, but he, he put me with a guy that, that had, uh, Byron was a all-star salesperson. He had, accolades and awards and all kinds of stuff and so I, I i learned from the best and i i'm I'm a guy that takes copious notes all the time after i'd learn after i go out and, and learn stuff from byron or learn stuff from these other people i would come back and i would i would take notes um in the 10 months i worked there i sold two houses that's not substantial <laughs> um 
by the time it was all said and done, like I, I didn't owe them money necessarily, but like when I had to file my taxes, it looked like I, I don't, even, loss. I don't remember how it all worked out, but like I, I was writing my book while I was working there. And, um, I, 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 I was coaching at the time I was coaching musicians and that's what I've been doing when I left the radio station. I started coaching musicians on how to grow an audience and how to build relationships inside the music industry. One of the things uh, I wrote my first book actually on how to build relationships inside the music industry. It's a book called the DIY Musicians Radio Handbook. Uh, I became a syndicated radio host by contacting stations individually and building relationships with stations. I didn't hire a marketing manager. I didn't hire an agency. I didn't go do that thing. I did it all myself. And basically I took the principles from how to win friends and influence people. And I modified it to the digital age. And I built really awesome relationships with radio stations. And then I started building really awesome relationships with music industry professionals. And I did a bunch of events and all kinds of stuff. And so, um, but I was. That's a great, great lesson. Because I do that. I try to do that in my coaching and in my podcasting. I reach out and try to build relationships. And that's, that's awesome. Guys, listen to that. That is so true especially if you're in business, you have to build relationships with people, you know, instead of like this cold calling and make your offer. No, man, you want to know about people. You know, you want to understand, ask them questions. Right. Right. D? Yeah. yeah. So one of the things that, cause one of the things that I was, I was playing independent musicians and, and, and people were, I was playing stuff and people were sending me. And I was also like going out and finding stuff that wasn't being played anywhere. I built a reputation as being one of the first people like, to launch several, I guess, fairly medium to larger artists' careers in terms of the the media publication that they have, mm-hmm. because I would actually listen and give people a chance. What I would see, and you know, this happens in sales. This happens everywhere. You you probably get this too, Steve. Like in the coaching space now, there's all kinds of people that once they see that you're a coach, they instantly make you their prospect. So they like you on Facebook and they send you this message like, "Hey, I noticed that you do this thing." And I noticed that you're a coach. How about we jump on a call and talk about blah, 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 blah. And I know that that's one of the ways that coaches are told how to grow their business. But you haven't asked me anything about myself, you know, absolutely nothing about me. And I know that all you really want to do is add dollars to your pocket. Mm -hmm. You're not really all that interested in me. What musicians would do is they would take their music and they would send me this blanket message about how awesome their band was and give me this like, you know, 9,000 page Wikipedia bio and all this stuff without actually saying like how their music and my show would make a good match together. Mm -hmm. And they -hmm. wouldn't know that because they didn't know anything about my show. They just got my contact information from this big catalog somewhere. But that doesn't actually build a, a relationship or make a connection or make me, make me the person that's receiving this stuff go, I'm going to give you, five and a half or 10 minutes of my time to listen with my heart and listen with my ears and and give you a chance. You've just treated me like everybody else. Nobody wants to be treated like everybody else. We all want to be treated as though we're special. We all want to be given that respect. Mm -hmm. So I was coaching musicians on like, not only does this work with people inside the music industry and radio stations and media, your fans want to know that they matter to you too. Individually. And here in, if you show an individual fan that kind of likes your music, that you care about them, they'll become your raving fan. And when you have raving fans, those people like shout from the rooftops about you and you don't have to ask them to. They do that because you grasped 
you get something inside their soul and that means so much to them. So it's, but it's human nature. It doesn't matter what your industry is. What I felt though, when I, when I was going through divorce was I thought, and this is where the fear hit me again. Nobody's going to believe that I'm any good at relationships. If my closest one walked out the door, right. that's going to end. This is a belief though. This, this was something I was thinking. The belief was this experience invalidates me from being a person that somebody's going to trust with relationship building. And I, I said that to a friend of mine who's a musician and uh, she's in Los Angeles now. Uh, she told me, she's like, you realize that now that you're having this experience, this makes you like 10 to 100 times more influential and more powerful in relationship building than what you were before. Because now you have this experience that speaks to so many more people in a way that like you, your voice wasn't going to be heard before. And like, that's been entirely true. I want to say that one of the things I want to work towards and I am working towards is through teaching people how to love themselves and essentially teaching people what love is. I mean, what I want to really do is eradicate heartbreak. I'm not sure if that's actually possible, but I'm all for let's try to do impossible things. Cause if, even if we just love ourselves wholly in a relationship doesn't work, I've been in relationships that don't work and I'm super awesome friends with people that I dated. Like we're, we're still, we still hang out. We still talk. Everything's cool. Like it wasn't like bad blood and the whole thing is done. Right. So that's, I know that that's possible, but we've got to get to this place where we, we know who we are. We love the person that we are. We know what love is. And it's not all the, forgive me, but it's not all the bullshit that we're taught in church and other institutions and stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of bullshit that's taught in churches. Uh, it's not scriptural and it's not real, but we've got to know what love is and we've got to know how to give it to us. Cause if we don't know how to give it to us as individuals, we're not, we're, we're going to be spreading a bunch of metaphoric diseases, you know, right. diseases of the mind, diseases of the heart, diseases of the ideals that it's not going to do. Anything yeah. Good. I don't think I answered your question. Sorry. No, no, no. Where you went was awesome because it, I totally agree you got to love, if you can't love yourself, you know, it's always saying you can't love yourself, you can't love anybody else, but you really got to find yourself, find your truth. I mean, this is what I preach. You got to find your truth, live your truth, you know, be unapologetic about it and be proud of yourself. That is really the only way you can really get deeply involved with the person and share that love and go along with for the ride. Cause I found out that, you want to just go for the, the, you know, the drive, the ride, and you want to have that person with you that aligns with you where it's kind of a free flow fun. It's an adventure. Yeah. And that's, that's what life is all about having fun and being on an adventure. And of course you're going to have your heartbreaks. And, and I mean, the heartbreaks and the failures teach you the most. Right. I mean, I, I was talking to my son the other day and he was having trouble because he was having trouble finding a job and he was like, felt like a failure. I'm like, Kevin, you know, you're 24, right? You got the, I mean, you got a life ahead of you and you're an awesome kid. I said, you just have to kind of go inside yourself and figure out what you want to do. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I did the list thing, write down the qualities you like about yourself, you know, and yeah. write what you don't want to do, but that's a different podcast. But uh, I love your story, man, because it's kind of similar to mine because that heartbreak I had really transformed my life. I mean, that was the best thing to me that happened to me. It was very painful. 
and I can tell with you the pain inside you felt because that was, you know, that was a very, you know, you guys, you thought that was, you know, a long lasting relationship and it kind of just blindsided you. So what did you do? I know you see you coach people on how to love themselves after a heartbreak in a relationship. Well, I teach people what love is and I coach them on how to love themselves. So I've had several clients that are, you know, post heartbreak, post divorce, something like that. But I've, I've had several other clients that just like they they got to a they got to a, a wall, they got to a dead end in their lives in, in a sense where they're just like, I'm tired of suffering, I'm tired of questioning, I'm tired of a lot. Most of the people that I really serve are people that have really big hearts and they are they are people pleasers and they don't want to be people pleasers anymore. Right. They want to break free from feeling like they have to sacrifice and give and give and give to be worthy of love. That was my story. Like I was a gigantic codependent person. And honestly, I still got codependent patterns that I'm continuing to work through. One of the bad things that I brought to marriage was I brought a codependent people pleaser attitude. And because of that, like I was a doormat for a lot of things. Right. I, I let myself be stepped on. I showed my ex-wife how to love me by uh, the ways that I didn't love myself. And I, that, that didn't serve either one of us. Um, exactly. I, I, there was a lot of weakness that I brought and there was a lot of strength too. Like I'm, I'm not going to just sit here and, and hate myself. And yeah. 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 I, I was, I was and am incredibly kind and incredibly patient, incredibly giving and incredibly forgiving and forgiving and forgiving and forgiving and forgiving. Cinderella syndrome, right? Yeah. What the big turning point for me was, um, was actually sitting right here in the same chair I'm in right now. It was, uh, I've been, I guess, alone in my house for a couple months. It was a Saturday morning. I was writing my book. I worked with one of the most amazing publishers in the whole world. Her name is uh, Summer. I thought my whole book was done. I thought I'd written everything. And she's like, you're not done yet. This is brilliant, but you're not done. You're going to spend two weeks and you're going to say everything you can possibly ever say about what it is that you went through and what the transformation is like. And then we're going to start the editing process. So I was sitting here, it was a Saturday morning. I was writing things down and I had this memory of my wedding day. And at the time, that was like my all-time favorite memory. And I, could, I, I have a very powerful imagination and a very powerful memory. I remember details, specifics, feelings, smells, sights, everything. So like I almost like jumped back in time in my mind. And I was reliving that moment of standing there at the altar and seeing her come down. And at, in the middle of that memory, my heart just, it didn't sink. It just like exploded with anguish because it was like, this isn't real right. the past that beautiful memory now is totally like just this tragedy mm-hmm. so i fell on the floor i'm crying my eyes out i'm just hurting so much and i feel this voice inside of me say you don't know how to love yourself wow and that was but that was the wake-up call right that was the realization i don't know how to love myself I've been trying to love somebody else so that they would love me. And if they loved me, then I felt like I was worthy. But what if that's actually more of the problem than it is the solution? Because I've been, and so then I went back and I started thinking like, okay, well, when I was chasing this other girl for three years, I was chasing her trying to prove that I was worthy instead of just standing in my own power and knowing I'm worthy. And like, she can decide if she wants to, and she doesn't, then that means you're not for me. Excellent. So that began the process of me 
going, okay, I've got, not only do I need to learn how to love myself, but I've got to learn what love actually is because I thought that I knew what love was, but if love does this shit, then that's not love. (laughs) I've got to figure out what love actually is so that I can own it. Right. I can operate out of it. And so what I do is help people who've gotten to a similar place or they're on the verge of getting to that place where they realize that like everything inside of them doesn't work because they don't know what love is. Right. And they're questioning their beliefs, they're questioning themselves, and they want they want a way through. They maybe they think they want a way out, but the only way out is through. And so they get to a place where they're like they, they've probably seen some video I've done or they've read something I've, I've said somewhere and it resonated with their heart and it resonated with their soul. And they're like, this guy understands where I'm coming from. And so we have a conversation, and I just I I basically lead people in seeing themselves for who they really are. Like I don't have some sort of um, magic wand, but I do have um, some Superman powers and kind of helping people. I believe everybody's got superpowers. One of mine is empowerment. So I, I empower people to see themselves in a transformational way and help people understand what love actually is and give them the tools and the practical of like just practical methods that you're, don't take a whole lot of time and are not complicated at all. Super, super simple stuff. And if you will just commit to yourself to do these simple things, you'll experience the transformation. You don't have to have some sort of like, you know, mountaintop experience. Something that, and here's something that's super simple that this is what I've done in my own life. This is what I teach my clients on how to do. It's, it's five words. No matter what you're going through, whether you're having a super awesome day or having a really terrible day, tell yourself this and breathe it into your body and breathe it into your spirit. It's okay. I love you. It's okay. I love you. Doesn't matter what what doesn't matter if you did the most terrible thing in the whole world. It's okay. I love you. You give yourself that love. It's okay is grace. Means it doesn't matter what it is. I'm not going to hold that against you. I don't have a conditional relationship with you. Where if you do cool things, I like you, but if you don't do cool things, I think you're an asshole. That's not the way that I'm going to treat myself. It's okay. I love you. I'll take responsibility for when I totally screw something up and if I hurt somebody, I'm going to take responsibility. I'm going to make it right but it's okay. I love you. That's something that's super simple. And if we can just adopt something as as simple and as easy as that into our lives, then it becomes really easy. uh, Or Sorry. It becomes a lot easier, more natural and more normal for us to say the same thing to somebody else who hurts us and not take the hurt or take their actions personally, even if it was intended to be personally, but just say, you know what? It's okay. I love you. That might even mean it's okay. I love you. I don't want to hang out with you anymore because I see you've got these patterns and you've got this toxicity in your life. And I love myself enough to draw this really clear boundary and not welcome you into my space anymore. It's okay. I love you enough to keep you over here and keep me on this side, but I'm not going to hold this against you. And I'm not going to create this additional tension where I'm going to carry all these stories around in my mind so that I'm hurting myself while I'm thinking about you. I love that. I love that. It's okay. I love you. That's why I'm staying on this side of the street because I love myself because I don't want that toxicity. It, dude, that's that's brilliant. That is brilliant. That's what a lot of people I talk to. I say, you got to get, you always want people that have your back, not people that are stabbing you in the back. Mm, you always, yeah. yeah. I mean, you always want to surround yourself with people who have your back and who are in alignment and do, you know, want to do things with you and then go along with you instead of people trying to fight you. But that is a great, great insight. Man, I love that. I want to incorporate that in my coaching. <laughs> do it, man. Do That's it. awesome. That is awesome. 
So tell me over your books. I know you say you had a couple books and I'm going to leave them on the podcast site, but go over your books, tell people how we can get in touch with you. And then we'll do our Fast and Furious 5. Well, I'm super easy to get a hold of because I think the only other D. Grant Smith in the country is a dentist in Missouri. <laughs> so that, that's not me. I am the relationship growth farmer. That's my brand. What I believe is that our heart and our minds are gardens, and it's our job to plant the seeds of love inside of ourselves. And not only, not only our thoughts and our mindset, but also the way that we feel and our emotions. And ultimately, that puts it in our bodies too. And when we sow and grow love inside of ourselves, the tree of life comes out of through our actions, yeah, attitudes, and behaviors. And that's how we're a blessing to everybody. That's awesome. um, my main book is called Be Solid, How to Go Through Hell and Come Out Whole. It references my experience in boxing. Yes, it references my experience with healing from divorce. But mostly the whole theme of the whole book is about how to love yourself. So all through those pages are very practical tools for how to love yourself. Now, at the end of every chapter, I have exercises for you to do. I have trainings. It's kind of like you're buying, you're buying me as a coach that is either sits on your computer as an ebook or on your phone or paperback copy is in your pocket or whatever. If you do the exercise, it's, it's just like anything else. If you read it cover to cover and then you don't do anything with it, yeah, it's not going to serve you. But if you read it and you do those stuff and I, and I give you the tools to do, if you do that stuff, like your whole life will be transformed. Through the link that I'm going to give Steve for, for you guys to have, I've got a kind of a package of stuff that's got um, another, it's got at least one other ebook in it that's all about reshaping your beliefs, getting out of the negative uh, mindsets, negative stories. It's, it's really geared towards people, it's really geared towards growing your confidence. The things that keep us all from having confidence are the stories that we've been telling ourselves for forever. Yep. So I, I walk you through a practical step-by-step method for changing your story, rewriting your self-concept, and reshaping your beliefs so that you operate out of confidence. It's also got a, at least one, it's got two courses in it too. The whole thing's seven bucks. It's like, it's like Santa Claus came and brought you like the entire JCPenney Christmas catalog and <laughs> gave it to you for not just the catalog, but all the stuff that's in it. Yeah, uh, for just a couple bucks. So that's that. I do have a coaching program that I do through my book. It's uh, called the Beast Solid Training Program. It's eight modules and 12 weeks of coaching. So inside that program, I actually teach you what love actually is, breaking down stuff like what kindness is. And I talk about how kindness and niceness are two different things. Now, I've always been a really sensitive guy. Uh, I still am a really sensitive guy. I'm learning how to not take it the wrong way when people say that I'm really sweet or really nice because mm -hmm. sweet and nice don't mean the same thing to me as they mean to other people. Right. Nice doesn't have a backbone. Nice is nice so that you will be nice back and so that you won't be mean to nice because nice can't handle it if you're honest. If you don't say something that nice likes, nice gets all scared. I'm not nice, but I'm very kind. Mm -hmm. So I can handle negative feedback. I can handle whatever comes back at me because I'm not needing somebody to give something to me in return. Hey. That's what love is. Love doesn't have to have something given back to it. It's going to do what it does because that's what it is. So all that to say, uh, there's there's seven other things I talk about. I do talk about building a healthy and strong, true love relationship with finding how to find the right person that you're actually looking for. And then once you're in that relationship, how to go through the relationship stages, right. how to cultivate and work through that relationship, how to go through difficulties because every relationship has difficulties in it. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, that's 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 the coaching work that I do. And if you want, I've got a, I've got a ton of other books I could I could share with you that just stuff that I've written that's on my website. But I, but that's that's kind yeah. of yeah. I mean, we can we can put on the the uh, the podcast site, and you can uh, you either write it, you know, send it to me, and I'll get it out there, or you can send it to my my editor. But 
I love this, man. This is this has been great stuff. And I think we are in a parallel universe as far as, you know, self-love and and finding that, you know, avoiding the toxic people. I love that statement. I love myself enough to stay across this side of the street and keep you on the other side. That's what a lot of guys need to do as far as being in toxic relationships. But man, I really enjoyed this time together. But wait, we're gonna do <laughs> the fast and furious five, baby. All right, my man, give me your the most transformational book you've ever read. Okay. I read a lot of nonfiction, but one of my all-time favorite books, and this is this is I, I gotta trust my spirit on this. It's called The Alchemist or The Alchemist. It's a Alchemist. Fiction, fiction book by Paulo Coelho. Coelho, yeah. Um, I think anybody can insert themselves into that story and not just the journey of the shepherd boy into chasing after his uh fortune but for me the one of the most powerful sequences in that book is when he goes to the oasis and when the english guy is trying to find the alchemist and he, he's trying to get him to the the shepherd figures out how to speak the languages of these people which is also something else about adaptability but there's this in my book this is this is how detailed i am in my book it's page 95 through 98 is when he's in the oasis and he meets Fatima, who is his true love. Mm-hmm. In that whole sequence, I've underlined that, highlighted it, put asterisks next to it, and I wrote it like in the margins, like this is going to be my experience. Because that's the experience that I wanted to have when I met true love. And ultimately, that was the experience that I, that I had when I met true love. I think that transformational books, we can all read all kinds of books that will like change the way that we see ourselves and change the way that we, that we do things and change the way that we feel about things. But the storyteller in me, I'm a gigantic comic book fan. So the storyteller in me is somebody that jumps into fictional stories and then tries to see how I can, you know, put myself inside that story. Right. So like I try to be Superman every day because I want to be somebody that stands for truth and stands for justice and that cannot tell a lie right. and that can see through the bullshit and that is invincible to negativity and that is a symbol for hope. So I don't have blue eyes. I'm not like dark and I don't look like a GQ model, but I can still see myself inside that character. So in terms of most transformational story, I think the alchemist totally takes that because mm-hmm. all of us can see ourselves inside that character in some form or fashion and then see the, see the journey that life has, lead, has led us through and is leading us through to get us to the place that we want to go. Right. That's all. Yeah. I, this is the second time this week I've heard about this book. And I, I got it on my, my Kindle. I just got I got to read it. I got a shit ton of books I got to read. <laughs> As we all do, right? Put that, put that, move everything else away and put that first man. If I'm the second person to say that to you, then yeah, that's, then, yeah, a, that's sign. a sign, dude. That's a sign. Who is the most transformational person in your life, public-wise? Like, who, like, inspires you? Or who kind of inspired you to do what you do? Coaching. Uh, or just person, maybe a biography or somebody in history or... Yeah, I think the most inspirational person is probably Oprah Winfrey. She and I have the same personality. I think she's an ENFJ or whatever that that is. But like her, she's somebody that is totally driven from her heart and from her empathy. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, I don't think of her as, you know, the richest woman in the world or somebody that's like this media icon. I see when I see Oprah, when I think of like great people, I think of Who's somebody that wants to see every single person in the world blessed beyond their wildest dreams? So the way that she operates is she operates from this incredible abundance consciousness. Mm -hmm. And it's from that abundance consciousness Mm -hmm. that allows her to just be love 
everywhere. So I know my mission in life and my purpose in life is to be love in the world. And as my goal to be love in the world, I get to show what that means. And I think that one of the biggest examples of somebody that ha- that is love, and when you think of what would love be personified, Oprah is easily somebody that you can right. you can go, yeah, that's what that that's what that looks like. That's funny because uh, I live near Baltimore, and that's where I, I first noticed her. She was on the local station on the noontime news, and that's so I mean, just crazy the way she just blew up like she did that's awesome that's awesome what's uh what is one of the movies that just like just fire you up i think we already know that right rocky <laughs> yeah hey this is tigger tigger hey. likes to be a part of the things that i do hey tigger <laughs> okay for me it would be rocky three yep and i'll give you a rep point for that so i think one of the most important scenes in the whole series is actually something that that, that um gets gets mistaken a whole lot but I know exactly what you're talking about. I know it's gotten beat by Clubber, Clubber Lang slash Mr. T, but he's agreed to do a rematch. Apollo is trying to train him, but the whole time he's training, and this is totally true for, for us as guys, and, and I think women too that have had this experience, when your heart's been ripped out of your chest and when you've experienced the most intense emotional trauma where you were either betrayed or left or broken by somebody that you trusted with all of your life, Trying to move past that trauma, you can't you, for a little while until you choose to face the fear, until you choose to deal with the fear. So the, the, for me, the most pinnacle scene, I think, in the whole series is the scene on the beach mm-hmm. when Apollo's like, I'm done. If you're not in this, I can't do this anymore. And Adrian is looking at her husband going, what is going on here? And then she turns into this like warrior princess and gets in his face and is like money and accolades and all that stuff. It's all rubbish. I want you like, you've got to, you've got to get this right. You've got to get it, but you've got to do it for yourself. You can't do it for me. You can't do it for Apollo. You can't, you've got to do it for you. And it's in that moment when he changes. And it's in that moment when he decides to basically, when he decides to believe in himself and decides to love himself and not let his fear of losing be the thing that keeps him back. Exactly. And after that, you see a different man. And he he goes through this radical physical transformation. His mind is in the game. And then, but what's also interesting is in that second fight when he's fighting Mr. T, Clever Lane or whatever, it's in the second round, he gets knocked down twice. And when he gets up, he's not in his same sort of, uh, you know, dance around and fight like Apollo. And I I see this now being on the other side of my heartbreak what he does when he's when he's just going and fighting he's fighting as his old self but what what he's done is he's in his head and he's like i'm not going to get beat like i did before and i want this guy to throw every single thing that he has at me cuz he's going to have to kill me but but he's not going to be able to cuz i'm bigger than this so for me that movie is about facing fear and facing your worst fear again after you've been through heartbreak, after you've been through trauma, after you've been through the most difficult experience of your life, looking your absolute worst fear in the face and your worst fear saying, I'm going to bust you up. And you looking back at it and going, go for it. <laughs> yeah, man. I knew what scene you're exactly talking about because I had a lot of fear in my life. And that that's so when you bring that back up, man, I'm getting chills. I'm like, yes, yes. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. You want the truth? I'm afraid. Yeah. You are so, I, I, 
I felt that. I mean, I, that's that was me too. I was afraid. I was afraid for exposing myself. So that's that's an awesome, awesome point. <laughs> All right, buddy. Who is the person that you look up to in your personal life? Who is like that person that you just like? That's my rock. That's my. Who inspires me the most? Yeah. I've got so many people, man. Who'd you go to? I'm not being very <laughs> fast about this. I've got a couple of mentors that I. So there's there's one person in particular. He's that's that's who's on my mind when you say this. Uh, my buddy Tim Palmer. On the day that my ex-wife told me that she was leaving, he and I were plan- we had planned on taking this trip to Granbury, Texas, about three hours away from where I live. Uh, he had asked me two days before, hey, man, I'm going to go do this speaking event. He knew that I did speaking, and he's like, I want to do a speech with you. I want you to tell this great story that you've told at, at another deal. Would you come teach these kids about love? And so I'm. it's 30 minutes before I'm going to leave, and my my wife says, uh, hey, I don't love you. I, I don't love you anymore. I want to leave. And that shattered everything that was inside my heart. And I thought, how in the hell am I going to go teach kids about love when the person I love is done with me? So I contemplated everything in that moment. I contemplated taking the gun out of my sock drawer and blowing my brains out. I contemplated uh, everything. Ended up going with Tim on the speech. I, I sat in his car for all of eight minutes before I broke down and cried my eyes out and told him what was going on. That man loved the living hell out of me. So when I say loved the hell out of me, all the hell that was going on inside my body and inside my mind, he sent this Care Bear stare of love into me for 12 hours. That man saved my life that day. Wow. And so forever and ever after that, Tim Palmer is always going to be my hero. I love him like a like a brother. He is a walking care bear. He is a gigantic superhero. You just spend five minutes with him and you feel like you're worth a zillion dollars. Um, he's just, yeah, he's one of my all-time favorite people. That is awesome. God darn, it's awesome, man. I mean, I love this shit. I love it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Dude, I, I so appreciate your heart and your, um, your, your interest and your willingness to talk with me and let me just kind of open up and share from from my soul with with you and with your with your people yeah man it's it's all about that man it's all about being real speaking our truth living our truth and just being on that side of the road right i love that dude i love that all right d thanks so much oh we got one more buddy what's your favorite go-to quote what's that i'm gonna quote myself if that's okay that's great I think pain can be your biggest teacher because it has your, this is from my book. Pain can be your best teacher because it has your undivided attention. Wow. That's awesome. (laughs) On that note, man, I want to thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you, man. My heart's yours, man. Oh, awesome. I got you, buddy. So guys, you heard it. D. D. Grant Smith. A love coach, I think, just brings his, his love and the love of yourself. I'm going to really listen to this, man. This is a great podcast. But listen, guys, my mission is to help 300 million men worldwide to make their comeback and get their swag back. And remember, guys, it ain't over to the pat you on the face with the show. Steve Clemens signing off. I'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to Get Your Swag Back podcast with Steve Clements. And if you like this shit, please subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite podcast platform. Also, if you know anyone that may need to hear this podcast, which is 90% of the men in the world, send them my way. 
Please send us your feedback, questions, and comments to swagbackdocdoc at gmail.com. I love reading hate mail. Thanks for listening, and fellas, take your balls back and get your swag back. See you next podcast.